listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. Well, good morning again, everybody. And if you're watching online, a warm, warm welcome to you as well. We're starting a new series today called Big Questions. We're going to wrestle through the next few weeks through some questions that maybe we're asking, but maybe we're afraid to ask at times, like, if God is good, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Or what's my life's purpose? Or um, how do I know God exists? Is Jesus really God? We're going to wrestle with this question. Does Christianity seem a little too narrow? And I'm hoping that through this, uh, you'll have some aha moments And maybe if you're here today and you're here for the first time or you're exploring faith, maybe the questions that you're asking will find some answers and in it you'll find find God. Today I want to tackle this question. How can I know my life's purpose or does my life have purpose? I was 14 years old when I felt God calling me to ministry. I remember that day vividly. I was sitting in church, and uh, we had a missionary from Africa that had come over, and and he was speaking, and he had read this verse out of uh, an Old Testament book called Isaiah, and the the verse said, who will go for me, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me, and I'll never forget him saying, and I know that God's calling some of you to go and to bring the life-changing message of Jesus to to the world, and something in me was stirring. I mean, it was almost physical, and he gave this invitation to come forward, and I think before he was done, I I had made my way to the front. I I always went back to that day and remembered that day because sometimes ministry can be hard. In fact, sometimes I think pastoring a church would be perfect if there were no people, and Right? Because it's, it can be challenging at times. Well, I found myself in 2003, about a week away from our wedding, uh, getting married to my wife, Jill. And um, my pastor called me and he said, I have to have a conversation with you before your wedding. Uh, it's important. Now, <laughs> I was like, great, how's this going to go? So, of course, he calls me and he said, I just want to let you know that um, when you come back from your honeymoon... Deb and I will have already moved on. God is calling us elsewhere. And he had been a friend of our family for years, a mentor to me, and I remember going, whoa. So, of course, we go on our, our honeymoon, and we come back, and there had been a, there had been a gentleman that was sort of hanging out in the seats uh, at, at our church and got to know different people, and he preached at one point, but everybody just really kind of fell in love with him. And, uh, and, and then eventually he became the lead pastor of the church, and, um, well... He was profoundly difficult to work for. Um, I'm not giving you the name of the church so that you don't trace it back. Uh, He's not there anymore. As a matter of fact, uh, over 10 years later, they came to find out that over 15 staff members had left because of the pain that he had inflicted. I was the first. Sometimes when you're the first, you tend to think maybe it was my fault, right? I mean, it it, it rocks you, doesn't it? And... um, I'm giving you more of the story than I did in the last service. But anyway, uh, it was hard, and it was difficult. And I remember going home, 
and saying to my wife, my, my new wife, I don't think I can do this. I love God and I love people, but I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't even know if I want to work for a church anymore. And there were mornings, just to be, be very transparent with you, I would weep at having to get in my car and go to that office. It was hard. So, first of all, I learned not all churches are created equally and not all pastors are created equally. So, just one more time, I hope those of you who have been here for a while thank God every day for 41 years of ministry with Pastor Jeff because he is an incredible man of God. I would have to just say that to you. So, I'm in my office one day and I, I said, Lord, I'm finished. I'm finished working for the church. I don't want to do this anymore. And my undergrad degree was a double major in music and Bible. So I called the head of the music department of a small college I went to, Nyack College in New York, and I talked to the head of the department. I said, would you help me get my New Jersey State certification to teach music? I think I want to go back and teach high school music. I'll, I'll help a church or I'll serve. I just don't want to receive a paycheck from one. And I began to you know, just continue to pray about this, and we got the ball rolling, and I was filling out paperwork, and I remember praying a dangerous prayer. I said, Lord, if you want me to stay in ministry, you're going to have to give me like a burning bush moment. Like, I need you to make it really obvious, because I'm going to look for every reason not to do this. So I'm in my office one day, and I'm praying, and I'm, I'm a pretty relational guy. I love people. I love people. That's how God's wired me. And so I'll stay in touch with people and call people. And I thought about the pastor that I had worked with 10 years earlier when I was doing an internship at a little Lutheran church in a place called Suffern, New York. I was a second year college student helping them get a contemporary worship service started with, with a band and whatnot like that. And I spent a year with this young Lutheran pastor that was on fire for God. I mean, his passion was unbelievable. And it was a great experience. Well, now here we are, and we're, we're now like, you know, 10 years later, and I don't know where he's at. He doesn't know where I'm at. And I've graduated, I'm now pastoring the second church that I'm at. I said, you know, I'm just going to reach out to him and say hello. I just want to see how he's doing. So I, I Google, I find out where he's at, and I, I call his church, and I, his secretary came on, and, and she could tell I was just feeling distraught, and I, I said, I'd really like to talk to Kurt if I could. Just tell him it's a friend of his from New Jersey. Well, she comes back on, and she says, he doesn't know anybody from New Jersey. Who are you? What are you selling? And I said, oh, that's right. He would have known me from New York. Well, then she comes on again. She says, sir, He's really busy. Like, I could, I could hear that you want to talk to me. I said, would you just tell him that is Dan from Nyack College? Now, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story without embellishing it in any way. Pastors can do that sometimes. So this is straight up how it happened. I hear this. Dan? I go, hey, how you doing? He goes, oh, my God. I go, nice to see you, too. I said, what? He goes, Dan, where are you? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm in my office. He goes, I know, where? I said, I'm in New Jersey. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm doing creative arts and worship for a church. He goes, Dan, I, I don't know how to tell you this. He said, but, you know, my secretary knocked on the door. We were having staff meeting, and she said, someone's on the phone, and they sound distraught, like they need to talk to you. He said, Dan, 
10 minutes ago in our staff meeting, I said to our staff, you know, our worship arts ministry is here, and it needs to go here. I know the guy that can do it, but I haven't heard from him in 10 years. I don't even know where he is. And I called 10 minutes later. Now, if you think, if you think that's amazing, I called my wife up and I said, I think we're moving. She goes, where? I said, Pinckney, Michigan. And we're going to be Lutherans. <laughs> she said, you're going to stay in ministry? I said, I think I had my burning bush moment. And we spent six years of our lives, and I think we would continue to say it was six of the best of our lives in Pinckney, Michigan, <laughs> serving God, falling in love with the people there. And if I could be really candid with you, falling in love with Michigan. I always said I would never go to New York. I didn't ever want to serve on the East Coast again, but about six years into that call, it seemed that God was doing something. I had gotten so caught up in the treadmill of doing ministry, doing, 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 and trying to achieve and, and all of that because I was in a very toxic environment where if you didn't achieve, you were not going to have any kind of affirmation at all. And it hurt me because I began to equate my walk with God as something I had to earn. And if I did well, and if I said the right thing, and, and all of that, and we, we can do that if we're not careful. And then one day, a friend of mine came up to me, handed me a book by an author named Henry Nowen. And the book was called The Life of the Beloved. And I got to a paragraph in that book and a sentence that I I didn't realize would change my life forever. And it was this, if you never did anything again, God would love you just the same. He simply wants you to know that you're the apple of his eye, his beloved, and he takes delight in you. If you never did anything again, he would love you just the same. He simply wants you to know, every one of you sitting in the room and watching online, you are the apple of his eye. You're his beloved. And he takes delight in you. So here I am six years into this time in Michigan, and and we do not want to go. But something was stirring, and Jill and I began to pray. And And a friend that we knew in New York had reached out and said, you know, there's this church in Malvern, New York, that's looking for a pastor. Would you ever consider it? And at first, I'd, I wasn't sure I would consider that. And I said, Lord, you know, I, I kind of said I would never go back to New York. Now, by the way, we ended up going to New York. Now I just say, Lord, in the middle of Hastings, in the dead of winter, I will never serve you in the Caribbean. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so... Do you know that when we were over in, in, in Pinckney, Michigan, I'd go, I'd go fishing with a friend that was on our board. And he would tell me about the things he was learning about leadership. He was on the tail end. He was getting, to reti- getting ready to retire. He was the director of sales at a little company called Hastings Manufacturing. When conversations began to start with TVC, I called another mentor who lives over in Howell, Michigan. And I said, uh, hey, Ray, I'm talking with this church and we're praying about it. I need you to pray too. He says, oh, you know, I don't know if I ever told you this, 
But when I graduated from Michigan State, I moved to Hastings. And there was a radio station in Hastings at one time. And he said, I was a DJ for that radio station. And I did my student teaching in this small town you've probably never heard of called Delton. And my roommate at the time came from a little town called Middleville. I'm like, what? You got to be kidding me. And here we are. <laughs> and I learned, I learned a lesson about your life and about mine. Yeah. I have to tell you, um, I'm humbled by this whole thing. I just want to say that to you. I'm humbled by the whole thing. A, I'm, I'm humbled that I get that privilege of following somebody like Pastor Jeff. You just have to know that. I, I wake up and go, wow, you know? And that I get to be here. But I, I learned something about life, and it's this. God draws straight using crooked lines. Anybody's life feel like that? It's felt like this, right? And you're like, God, God you know, what, what do you do? You say, a lot of us don't spend a lot of time thinking about our purpose until we're not sure of it or until something knocks us off what's familiar and what's predictable. And then when we do think about it, it can be troubling, especially if we're not sure what our purpose is, if we're even living in that. And on the other hand, even for those of us who believe that our lives are headed somewhere, who believe there's ultimate meaning, sometimes finding answers to life's simple questions can be difficult. Things like, you know, who should I spend my time with? Where should I work? How should I spend my money? And you're not the only one who wrestles with this. I mean, some, some prominent people in history have wrestled with this. Ernest Hemingway was an author, and, and he wrote this, Life is just a dirty trick. A short journey from nothingness to nothingness. Like, wow, that's, that's hopeful. <laughs> Henry David Thoreau, another author, author, put it this way. The mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. A group of people were asked randomly on the streets about purpose. I want you to hear what they had to say. Why were we put here? I think everyone wants to know, why were we put here? Why are we on earth? My purpose in life is to, um, to live a normal life, to, to be uh, a citizen, a productive citizen. I don't fully know why I'm here, but I enjoy that. I enjoy knowing that because then that creates endless possibilities for myself. I would like to make a difference, even if it's only in one life, I'd prefer to do more. Because I think the meaning of life, in my opinion, is to find something that you're passionate about and use that passion to make the world around you a better place. I'm really struck by the woman who said, I'm trying to spend as much of my life as unnoticed as possible. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, that's the first half pre-Jesus coming on the scene, we come across a book written by a guy by the name of Solomon. And what we know about Solomon, and, and, and even without the Bible, there's plenty of historical texts 
that trace us back to this guy being a prominent king, a prominent leader, and, and actually one of the wealthiest people who would ever walk the planet. And we have, we have a series of writings that he put, he put together called the Book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, he, here's what he writes when it comes to purpose and stuff and all of that. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, honestly, I stopped there and I go, well, thanks for the encouragement. And he goes on, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Now, he says, anything I wanted, anything I saw, I got it. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was, say it, meaningless. A chasing after the sun, or the wind rather. Nothing was gained under the sun. The first person to write in detail about the search for meaning was king over the ancient nation of Israel, King Solomon. He was more rich, more powerful, wiser than any living person. We read that the guy had 900 wives. (laughs) Guy's a real estate tycoon. He owns more land than anybody else. He had it all, tried it all. And he discovered some pretty profound things as a result. And and, and by the way, his introduction and eventually the way he ends the book, it kind of leads us to believe that riches, power, status, education, adrenaline, knowledge, you name it. Those are not the things that are going to give you and I meaning. They will give you temporary satisfaction. There are a lot of things that the world has to offer you and I that will give us temporary satisfaction, but they will not fulfill the longings of your heart. Money will not do it. In fact, someone asked Howard Hughes. Anybody know that name? He was an advertising magnate, if you will, one of the wealthiest people walking the planet at the time. And somebody asked him, a reporter, how much money do you think is going to be enough for you? And his response was, just a little bit more. So obviously, where do we go to find purpose? It's not money. In fact, Solomon says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. I met a man several years ago who had started his working career working for an international company over in the Middle East. He was running that division of a world a world wide company. It was extremely successful doing it. And meanwhile, over here on the U.S. side, the company wasn't doing so well. And so they called him in, the powers that be called him in and said, would you come over here to the U.S. and see if you can turn the U.S. division of the company around? And sure enough, he did. And not only did he turn it around, he made it one of the most successful, influential companies in, in their lane, if you will, that's ever existed. I won't, I won't tell you the name because I don't want you to trace it back. But you come across this guy's, the company that he led, I guarantee it, every single day. He turned the company around and it was estimated that over time, he amassed a self-worth of over $500 million. As he was sitting with me telling me this story, he says, but I want to tell you something. I remember the day that my wife came home from the doctor and said, things are not good. 
And I remember being by her side when she took her last breath. He said, Dan, there were many, many nights that I would stay at work as late as I possibly could. And I would leave my office on the top floor in Manhattan, New York, New York, New York. And I would go downstairs, downstairs, and I would walk the streets of Manhattan all hours of the night because I didn't want to go home. Something in my life was missing. And one day I met someone who introduced me to God. And everything changed. And shortly thereafter, I met, I met a woman who loves Jesus. He said, I'm retired now, but we've committed our lives to serving the world and helping people ask the questions about God that they're afraid to ask. And he's being used by God mightily. He said, it's funny, I, I always believed that God existed it just hadn't impacted my life. And boy, I, I've sort of wrestled with thinking about that. It's easy to believe God exists. It's harder to live as if he exists. See, if you're looking for purpose, it's not enough to simply say, well, I believe in God. Do you live your life in a way that demonstrates that he exists one of the fastest growing religions in America is practical atheism, and it's populated by people who believe in God, but they live as if he doesn't exist. How does that affect our lives, our sense of meaning, our sense of purpose? Let me ask you a question. Do you think that when you and I take our last breath, are we going to be concerned about how much we earned and how successful we were, how big the church was that we got to pastor or that we networked with the right people? I don't think so. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, that's the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, Matthew was an eyewitness to Jesus' life, and he penned these words that we get to, we get to have today, and I want you to see them. He, he says, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unencumbered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than the birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashion, walk out into the field and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop. But have you ever seen such color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside of them. It was my last few days in the office in New York and I got a text from Pastor Jeff and the only thing he said, he sent me a picture that illustrates this point beautifully. He said, hey, looking forward to you coming. This is what's waiting for you. Who paints a sky like that? That's the view 
for me now out my office window. He goes on and he says, if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your attention, your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. I want to ask you a driving question today around God's purpose for your life. What if the driving purpose of our lives was to pursue and live in the reality that we are God's beloved children? And all he's after, all he's after is to know you and to be known by you. He's not after your job description. He's not after your success, whatever that looks like. He's not after your achievement. All God wants from you when it comes to your purpose is for you to wake up in the morning, look at the mirror and say, I am the apple of God's eye. I'm his beloved. And I want him to know me and I want to know him. You know, oftentimes I'll hear people say, I, you know, I just want to know more of God. I want more of God. But let me just give you a little bit of an insight here uh, on this one. If, if I was to take a jar and fill it with water, if the jar was to say, give me more, I want more, the only way to get more into the jar is to pour some out. Oftentimes, we fill our lives with so much stuff and pursuit and success and all of that that, that we kind of push God out. We, we crowd him out. And so I want to invite you in the season of, of, of leading up to Easter, the 40 days leading up to Easter, what we traditionally call in the church year Lent, to take part in a thing that we call fast forward here at TVC. And the whole idea of, of fast forward is this. What can you say no to in your life so that you can say yes to something better? What can you say no to in your life so that you can say yes to something better? So on the seat when you came in, there was a card that looks like this. Maybe you just want to take a look at that. Maybe, maybe you'll say no to fast food or maybe you'll say no to uh, one meal per day and, and you'll take that time and you'll, you'll seek out God or maybe it'll be social media. Boy, wouldn't it be nice to just take a break from social media for 40 days? Yeah. Maybe it's video games. I don't know what it is for you, but I, I want to invite you to say no to something so you can say yes to something better. And, and we want to help you with this. We want to give you some reminders. After I'm done speaking today and the band comes back, we're going to invite you to come up and we've got some bracelets and some stickers for you. I want you to put one of those on. You'll notice they're black and white. And, and the black is just simply saying, that's what I'm going to say no to. And the white is just to say, this is what I want to say yes to. And it's just a little reminder for you to do that. We'd love to send you some text to encourage you after we get started. TVC Kids and our Fusion Ministry is going to be taking part in that as well. If you're watching online, 
Your hosts are going to talk to you for a minute or so about it. We'll get you one of these bracelets so that you can, you can follow along as well. And you can text fast forward to 77948 and we'll make sure that we get you those encouraging texts. I'm inviting you today to embrace the challenge that Jesus gave to his disciples when he said, listen, seek first my way, my kingdom, my way of doing things. If you really look at Jesus' life, essentially he went up to people and said, your way not working for you? Try mine. Seek first his kingdom and his way and everything else will be added unto you. What do the hallmarks of Jesus' way look like? They look like being whole, healing, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, depth of relationships. You know, 2,000 years ago, God looked down and, and the world was in trouble. And he said to his son, son, We've got to do something. I need you to go down there. And I need you to make this right. But son, it's not going to be easy. You're going to suffer. And you're going to lay down your life for them. But listen, on the third day, I'm going to raise you back to life. And we're going to take care of this. Son, will you go and Bring them back to me. Every person on earth was created to know God and to love God and to be loved by God. Life is meaningless without God, but God gives everything meaning. The situations of life that seem hard and isolated will be used by God for something greater than you. When I look back in hindsight of all the things I had to go through and that I had to walk through, they've shaped me into who I am today and ultimately paved the way for this moment at this time. And I'm grateful for that. See, how you live your life will determine the legacy that you, you live and you leave. And it'll, it'll be a reflection of how you live out God's purposes for you. See, Here's what it all comes down to. Knowing who you are and whose you are changes everything. You are sons and daughters of God. And he takes delight in you. And he calls you his beloved. And he knows your past. He's aware of it. It hasn't knocked him off the throne. It hasn't made him, made him love you any less. And he knows you're present. And he knows what some of you are walking through and the challenges that you're walking through. But nothing, nothing is going to change the fact that he calls you his sons and daughters. He calls you his beloved. My son, Nathan, said to me one day, he came running and he said, Dad... Nicholas called me a brat. That's his brother. And I said, well, what do you think, Nathan? Never forget it. He said, I want to know what you think, Dad. I said, well, sometimes you are... No, I didn't say that. I said, Nathan, 
I love you with all my heart. There's nothing that will ever change that. I think you are a wonderful little boy. He went, okay, that's good enough for me. Notice he didn't say, Dad, what do you want me to do? What do I need to do to make sure you still love me? What do I need to earn? What do I need to achieve? What boxes do I need to check off? Can I just say to you, your purpose will not be found in doing. It will be found in being. Being. I took my kids into bed as many nights of the week as I can. And I always lean down and I, I say, I love being your dad. And my son, my sons will say, I love being your son. Your father in heaven today is inviting every one of you here and watching online to find your purpose simply in being called his sons and his daughters. Herein, you will discover your purpose. I'd like you to bow your heads with me, and I really believe that there are some of you here today, and you've got to get off the treadmill. The frenetic, crazy pace of life and slow down long enough to hear the still small voice of God whisper in your ear, I love you always. You are my son. You are my daughter. And I hold you in the palm of my hand forever. Some of you today simply need to, in the quietness of this moment, say, God, I'm putting my life in your hands. Every part of me, and as much as I know how, I'm laying it down, and I'm putting my life in your hands. Some of you today, you, you made that decision a long time ago, but you've, you found yourself caught up in the doing and the achieving and the running and the rat race, and God's been whispering in your ear, slow down, slow down. Some of you just simply need to say, God, I'm coming back to you today. Refresh and renew me. And for everybody, God, who is here today, show us that one thing that we can say no to so that we can say yes to something better. And for all of it, we'll say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tvcweb.com.